Today we finished the book of Acts. We started the first Sunday of, of January. Now it's the second Sunday of November, and finally we're through 28 chapters. And here's where we've come in almost 11 months. When the book of Acts opens, there are only 120 Christians on planet Earth, and they're all in a small and insignificant corner of the Roman Empire. Nobody knows who they are. Nobody really cares who they are. They're not having much impact. But when the book of Acts closes, 30 years later is how far we've traveled in Scripture. Christianity has now become a global movement and there are Christians in the household of the most powerful man in the world The Roman emperor has servants who work for him who are now following the name of Jesus who only 30 years earlier Nobody in the world except for 120 people had even heard of and as we walk through Acts chapter 5, 6, 7, 8 As we move through the book of Acts, we realize it's the storms That the church experienced along the way over these 30 years that led to spiritual struggles the spiritual struggles every time produce spiritual strength and that spiritual strength eventually led to spiritual movement. So I don't want to say that what happened in the book of Acts should be attributed to the storms, but I want to say this. The strength of the church came from wrestling through the storms and the strength is what led to the movement and it's my hope that you're going to find the same thing true of your life as you journey spiritually. That spiritual struggles eventually produce spiritual strength if you don't give up and that spiritual strength produces spiritual movement in your life and the lives of others last week the apostle paul in the boat that he was on shipwrecked on an island called malta everyone made it safely to shore we pick up the narrative now in acts 28 1 it says once safely on shore we found out that the island was called malta the islanders showed us unusual kindness they built a fire and they welcomed us all because it was raining and it was cold Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire, and he suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and he showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and he healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and they were cured. They honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to set sail, they furnished us with supplies that we needed. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse, we stayed there three days. From there we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day the south wind came up, and on the following day we reached Patuli. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God, and he was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I've done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I've asked to see you and talk with you. It's because of the hope of Israel that I'm bound with this chain. They replied, we've not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. 
They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day. They came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others wouldn't believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul made this final statement. Quote, the Holy Spirit spoke the truth through your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you'll be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and he welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, what we've seen today in Acts chapter 28 is we've seen what happens when Jesus enters the storm. But we have to figure out how to see the occasion when Jesus enters the storms of our life because most of us feel we are most distant from Jesus while the storm is going on, not closest to Jesus while the storms and the struggles are happening. I don't know how many of you had the chance to go down um, Tuesday afternoon to Union Station in the parade route, but it was crazy. We, we went down, my family um, and some of our friends, into the throng of 800,000 people. And if you were there, you realize that 800,000 people in a couple blocks um, does not make for great cell phone coverage. Like, you just couldn't call or receive anything. I mean, it was like the dark ages back to 1999. I mean, it was just, it was just awful. I was looking for the old car phone in the bag to see if that one would work. Um, we had a friend who was trying to come down and meet us, um, because they were coming about 30 minutes later. Um, and there was no chance when we got down there and realized how many people there were, the chaos of the crowds, the lack of communication. It was like, there is no chance of meeting this person who's trying to meet us down here um, and we're not even going to be able to communicate with them for several hours and we didn't connect it was just impossible to meet someone in that environment and a lot of you feel that way about jesus in the midst of your storm you look at the storm that you're going through you feel like for some reason your communication to heaven has been shut off and god's not communicating to you and you look at your life and say in the midst of this storm that i'm going through right now there's just no way that I'm going to connect with Jesus. Not until this storm is over, not until this event is over, not until this season is over, am I going to be able to feel like I can talk to Jesus again and receive messages from Jesus again and connect with Jesus again. And you have just decided that during this season, you're just not going to be able to connect and maybe when it's all said and done, maybe you and Jesus will run into each other again. But I'm here to tell you that right in the middle of the storm, Jesus wants to find you. Because when Jesus enters the storm, he brings hope with him. And Paul said to the church at Corinth, there's only three things at the end of the day that really matter, faith and hope and love. And the church talks a lot about faith. And the church talks a lot about loving Jesus. But man, we lose hope really, really quickly. And Paul said, you can have faith and you can have a lot of love, but if you cannot hang on to hope, man, faith gets weak. Love goes out the window. When Jesus enters a storm, he brings hope, which allows us to make it to the next season. So what happens when Jesus enters a storm? I see three things in Acts chapter 28 that I want you to see about when Jesus enters a storm. Number one, sometimes Jesus enters the storm and he's the minister. Sometimes Jesus is the minister in the storm. 
He is the thing that comes and helps you get through the storm. We've been talking through this storm in Paul's life for six weeks. And as Paul went through his storms, Jesus was there to keep him encouraged. Jesus was there to give him hope. On the boat, when they were getting ready to wreck, after they'd been sailing for 14 days, not even knowing where they were going, Paul said, Jesus came and he ministered to me. Acts 27, 23, and 24, Last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve stood beside me and said, Don't be afraid. You're going to stand trial before Caesar. Two years earlier, Paul was in a jail cell in Jerusalem. His nephew snuck up and said, they're going to kill you. Paul, in that time, needed someone to minister to him in that storm. In Jesus, in Acts 23, 11, it says, The following night, the Lord stood near me and said, Take courage as you've testified by, about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. The gentle words of Jesus' ministry to Paul were life-giving. In a situation, in a season, in a storm that said you may not make it, you're in prison, they're plotting to take your life. Jesus' words were life-giving. It's going to be okay. On a boat that was drifting across the Mediterranean in a storm where everyone thought they were going to die, Jesus came up and his words ministered to Paul. You're going to make it. It's going to be okay. And if you and I can learn to tune our spiritual ears to hear Jesus speaking to our hearts, he can become a minister to us in the storms. But a lot of us have not been trained to hear Jesus. A lot of us are not able to quiet our lives and our spirits and our soul enough to really understand who Jesus is. Elijah found himself in this situation. He was an Old Testament prophet who did a lot of ministry on behalf of God. And he had a difficult season in his life. And in this difficult season, he had a chance to run into and interact with God. And he basically said this, God, I don't think I can make it through this season. And as a matter of fact, if this season is not going to end just kill me uh, because I, I can't keep going. This is one of the only times in Scripture that a person of God asked God to just take his life. He just, I can't do it anymore. He needed Jesus to minister to him. He needed God in the midst of his storm to step in and minister to him. So God said, here's what we're going to do. I, we're going to have a conversation. And he told Elijah, go into this cave and you and I are going to talk. And he came alongside an Elijah and he ministered to him. But listen to what 1 Kings 19, 11 through 13 says. It said, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and a powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood at the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? You know, a lot of us aren't willing to have God move in our life unless it's in some massive way that we can see and everyone else can see. If God will move with a major wind that everyone can see and feel, it's like, okay, God, I'm waiting on a big move of God. God, if you'll come in the fire, I'm waiting in a big move of God. God, if you'll come in the earthquake and shake my world, God, I'll feel you. And God says, sometimes... Sometimes I just want to whisper to your heart, it's going to be okay. Sometimes I just want to come alongside you and minister to you and say, listen, it's going to be all right. I'm going to be with you. But we have to learn how to hear the word of God. We've become really passionate about a church in making sure that our people understand how to hear the word of God. Because scripture says you don't just, as a Christian, know how to hear the word of God. You have to be trained to hear God whispering to your soul. So as a church, we're going to commit the first 40 days of our small group period starting in January to teaching our people. We're calling it a series called 40 Days in the Word to teach you how to hear God's Spirit 
through the word of God communicating to you when you need to hear God's gentle whisper. I've had so much, peop, so many people come to me so excited about this because they say, Christian, this is the next step of my Christianity. I hear from God in church. Sometimes I hear from God in worship songs, but I don't know how to hear from God on a daily basis. I want to learn how to do that. We're going to teach people to do that because Jesus wants to show up through the word of God and he wants to minister to you in the storm. But it's not just the word of God that Jesus uses to minister. Sometimes it's the people of God. And the people Paul encountered on his journey were life-giving. The people that Paul ran into when he finally got to Rome, it says that they encouraged him and they gave him hope that even in the midst of his struggle, things were going to be okay. Look at verses 11 through 15. We kind of flew through this last time, but when you break down the spiritual truth of them, it's an unbelievable lesson to us and for us. In Acts 28, 11, it says, After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse, stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up. And on the following day, we reached Petuli. There, we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend the week with them. And so we came to Rome. Finally, Paul is in Rome. The brothers and sisters there heard that we were coming And they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and he was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Do you know that Paul's final journey from the harbor, from the boat to Rome, was a a 140-mile walk? At that time, Rome did not have a harbor. You couldn't pull your boat right up to Rome. You had to pull up to southern Italy, you had to get out, and you had to walk 140 miles to get to Rome. And the Bible said when the Christians in Rome heard that Paul was coming, they didn't wait for him to get there, but they went out to meet him. We learned that one group of Christians from Rome walked 43 miles to meet Paul so that he'd know he wasn't alone. Let me ask you this question. How many of us have people in our life that are on a long, hard spiritual journey that we would say, if they call me, I'm available. If they text me, I'm available. If they reach out to me, I'm available. And instead of going to meet them on their journey and saying, I know it's been a long, hard road, and I don't know if you're going to make it, but I'm going to walk with you, we wait for them to come to us, and many of them never get to us. These Christians heard that Paul was coming. They'd heard about his ordeal. They'd heard about his prison stay. They'd heard about his shipwreck. And they thought, you know what? He's not going to walk this journey alone. Let's meet him halfway. And they got 43 miles down the road to connect with Paul. Another group came and walked 33 miles to meet him at a place in Rome called the Three Taverns. And literally, the Apostle Paul, who was a prisoner of Rome, received a hero's welcome from a church in a city he'd never been to because Christians know that Christians are not supposed to walk the hard road alone and they went out to meet him you see sometimes jesus is the minister and and his word speaks to our heart but sometimes jesus sends his people to say you're not going to walk this road alone and the reality is some of us are so busy that if our dearest friends called us and said i need your help we'd be there in an instant and some of us know our our dearest friends need our help and unless they say something we're just going to leave it alone when in reality we need to go meet them We need to start down the road that they're on. And who knows where we'll meet them, but meet them halfway and say, hey, I'm I'm here for you. I know you haven't reached out to me yet, but I know this road is hard. So we're going to walk together. I'm going to meet you halfway. Next week, we've we've got an incredible speaker coming named Jan Harrison, who's going to be a part of what's going on. She lost her son several years ago in Kenya, and they've started um, a mission work in Kenya to celebrate her. Some of you know some people who are hurting who need to understand how to make it through difficult times. You need to go meet them halfway this week and invite them to be a part of church next Sunday. 
Because the reality of what they hear could change their life. You could be a minister to them in their storm if you'll do that. So sometimes Jesus is a minister. Number two, sometimes Jesus is the rest. And I really want you to wrap your mind around this spiritually because what we learn from this section of Acts 28 is pretty mind-blowing in what God allowed to happen as a result of this storm. You know, 11 times in Hebrews chapter 4, Scripture refers to salvation as spiritual rest. Meeting Jesus, becoming, becoming a Christian. 11 times Hebrews 4 says meeting Jesus and becoming a Christian is a re- it's a spiritual rest. It, it stops all our efforts and it allows us to be at rest spiritually. Paul's shipwreck, Paul's storms gave him little pockets of rest in his life. In Acts 28, 11, it said he waited for three months on Malta. And then they finally sailed away. Acts 28, 30 closes with that he stayed two whole years in Jerusalem. And during these times of rest, he was able to see Jesus and find Jesus. And here's what's crazy. Many times the rest caused by the storms in our life, it's not what we expect, but it's exactly what we need. Because it's the only way we'll stop. It's the only way we'll reflect. It's the only way we'll catch our breath. I've had two conversations in the last three months um, that were awkward but telling conversations with parents who have kids who are in competitive sports who were injured. Um, Hospitalizations, surgeries, breaks, I mean bad stuff. Um, And when their kids finally got out of the hospital and I checked in on the parents, checked in on the kids and said, how you doing? How's everything going? Both of them, totally separate of each other, said something like this. They're doing okay. Um, Man, it's been a terrible season, but like we're actually kind of glad that we get the next three months off from practices and games, and meets, um, and events. Like, it's been really bad what we've been through, but we're kind of looking forward to the rest. Now listen, when, when the only time you rest is when you're in a hospital, you might, you might be running just a little too hard. It's amazing how many people I talk to who, in seasons of layoffs at major corporations or moving in businesses, um, they spend a few months unemployed or they spend a few months on severance, and they say something like this. You know, the first two weeks were really difficult, really scary, um, but I needed the time off. Like, when I look at the next four months, there's so much I've been needing to get done. There's so many people I've been wanting to spend time with. There's so much rest that I need to catch up on. It's like, yeah, I lost my job, and this storm has been hard, but the rest that occurs from this really bad situation. And I kind of needed that. And sometimes Jesus is the rest that we experience from the difficulty. It's not what we expect, but it's exactly what we need. More than that, the result of our rest is less than expected, but it's more than we could dream. Let me show you what I mean by that. The Apostle Paul did not plan to have this season of rest, and he probably hoped that this season of rest would result in some massive ministry And the ministry that Paul had was certainly less than he expected to have in Rome, but it was more than he could have dreamed he would have had in Rome. Think about the Apostle Paul. This guy wasn't afraid of anything. The Apostle Paul was probably a fighter. He talked often of boxing. The Apostle Paul was probably an athlete. He talked often of competing in races, in games. Paul wasn't going to back down to nothing. Paul probably thought on the ship on the way there, here's my plan in Rome. I'm going to go to the Colosseum where they're killing Christians. I'm going to volunteer to fight a lion. I'm going to kill the lion. Then I'm going to stand on top of the lion, and I'm going to lead everyone to Jesus. I mean, Paul wasn't afraid of nothing. His plans in Rome, when he went to Athens, he said, I want to go to the biggest building and tell them about Jesus. When he was in Ephesus and a mob filled the theater of 30,000 people, he said, let me go talk to them and tell them about Jesus. I'm sure Paul's plans in Rome were grander than he could have ever imagined. And instead, 
He ends up in a one-bedroom house for two years, chained to a soldier 24 hours a day. He literally, for two years, was chained to a Roman soldier, but he still ministered to the world. See, that wasn't Paul's plan. That's not what he thought this storm would result in. But what happened was even better because Paul, as he spent these two years, his ministry became deeply personal. He wrote to the church in Philippi, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. You know who the palace guard were? They were people who guarded prisoners. Many of us would have grand plans for Jesus and we find ourselves sitting in a house chained to a soldier and we would think, you know, I really want to live for God, but I'm stuck with this guy. Paul looked at him and said, I don't know what his plans are, but he's stuck to me. He's going to become a Christian. Guy couldn't get away from Paul. I'm sure a lot of times he just wanted Paul to shut up and Paul just said, hey, hey, you awake? Just rattle his chain a little bit. Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. This guy had to listen to every time Paul ministered to someone. And Paul said, it's become clear. Yeah, I've got a chain on me, but all that means is they can't get away. And they are stuck to me. You know, you can go to museums in Rome and see plaster that they have pulled from the palace guard that served in the emperors in the first century. And there are pictures that have been drawn into the plaster of Roman soldiers worshiping a figure on a cross. That's because of Paul. It wasn't what Paul expected, but it was more than he could have dreamed. More than that, it was definitely more than he could have dreamed. It wasn't just deeply personal. It was definitely more. Paul's plans were probably to preach a sermon every day to people who would live and die. He wasn't able to do that. So what did he do? He wrote letters to churches. While Paul was chained to a Roman soldier in a house, not getting to preach, he wrote the letter of Ephesians. He wrote the letter of Philippians. He wrote the letter of Colossians. He wrote the letter of Philemon. He wrote the letter of Second Timothy. Pastors for 2,000 years have been trained and processed through the filter of Second Timothy. That book might not have been written if Paul weren't chained there. It wasn't the ministry Paul expected, but he had more impact than if he'd have done it his way. When I think about Paul chained to that Roman soldier, not letting life end, but ministering in the midst of difficulty. I think of Joni Erickson Tata. Joni Erickson Tata is, is one of the most gifted ministers alive in the world today. When she was 17 years old, she dove into the Chesapeake Bay swimming with her friends, not realizing how shallow that the, wa- that, that the water was, um, and she broke her neck, and it severed her spinal cord to where she was paralyzed from the shoulders down for the rest of her life. And for a year or two, she obviously deeply depressed, um, suicidal, really, really struggled. But after two years, she said, I, you know, I can, I feel sorry for myself my whole life or I can, I start living. So she started living as a quadriplegic. She's written 48 different books. She's received six honorary doctorates from some of the most prestigious schools in America. She has founded ministries and organizations to help disabled people that would have never been founded if she wouldn't have gone through this experience. And she became a world-renowned artist painting with a paintbrush between her teeth. They've got some pictures. She sells pictures on her website that she has painted as a quadriplegic with a paintbrush in her mouth moving her head around. She said this in one of the books about how God stopped her world and what the rest allowed her to do. She said, few of us have the luxury And it took me forever to think of it as that, to come to ground zero with God. Before the accident, my question had always been, how will God fit into this situation? How will he affect my dating life? How will he affect my career plans? The things that I enjoy, all those options were gone. It was me, just a helpless body in God. Maybe God's gift to me is my dependence on him. 
I'll never reach the place where I am self-sufficient, where God is crowded out of my life. I'm aware of his grace to me every moment. My need for help is obvious every day when I wake up flat on my back waiting for someone to come dress me. I cannot even comb my hair or blow my nose alone. And there's one more thing. I have hope for the future. The Bible speaks of our bodies being glorified in heaven. In high school, that was always a hazy foreign concept. But now I realize that I will be healed. I've not been cheated out of being a complete person. I'm just going through a 40-year delay. And God is with me even through that. She looked at the rest, the stop that God had put on her life. She found Jesus in the rest. She found spiritual healing for her soul. She found hope for her future and said, let's keep living. Listen, the Apostle Paul lived with a chain on his wrist. Joni Erickson Sintata lives with, lives with a body that doesn't work. But listen, your storm may leave you with a chain, but as long as it's not a coffin, you've got to get up and keep going. Like you may have the chain of a, of a failed marriage that's attached to you forever, but you've got to keep going. You may have the chain of a health issue that attaches itself to you for the rest of your life, but you've got to keep going. You may have the chain of a hurt or a tragedy you've experienced that's not leaving, but you've got to keep going. You may have a chain of hurt or abuse that won't leave you in this lifetime, but you've got to keep moving as long as your chain is not a coffin. Just pull your chain with you and keep moving. Let the rest point you to Jesus and keep moving. Sometimes Jesus is the rest. And number three, sometimes Jesus is the ministry. Not the minister, but the ministry. When Jesus steps into your storm as the minister, he comforts you. When Jesus steps into the storm as the ministry, he takes the mirror away from the front of your face. A lot of us, the first thing we do once we've experienced a storm is we go to the mirror to make sure we're all right. We look at ourselves And Jesus, as a ministry, takes the mirror away and says, don't look at yourselves, look around at everyone else. Because you are now in a place, in a situation, and with people you would have never been with had you not gone through this storm. Open your eyes and start ministering to them. Look at verses 7 through 9. They wreck on Malta. It says there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and he showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and he healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and they were cured. So Paul, who was with Luke, who was a physician, landed on this island and it happened to be an island where there were a bunch of sick people that needed healed. Paul went in, he prayed for the dad with Luke's medical expertise. Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. It didn't say everyone on the island was healed. It says they were cured. It's as if everyone on the island flocked to these two men. Maybe Luke figured out what was going on as a doctor and said, here's what needs to happen. And literally a bunch of sick people on an island that needed a doctor to show up out of nowhere had a doctor show up out of nowhere. Luke and Paul's shipwreck resulted in a bunch of people who needed ministry being ministered to. And the reality is when we get up and dust ourselves off from what has happened, we look around and there are people across the street and across the hallway and across the cubicle and maybe sitting across the bed from us or maybe down the hallway and wife and kids that we've not even really had a chance to talk too much anymore. And all of a sudden, the ministry is right in front of us. You see, had Paul not shipwrecked on Malta, the people of Malta would not have experienced the power of God through him. But when he wrecked and he kept his eyes open to how he could impact others, tremendous ministry was done. So I told you a few minutes ago about next Sunday. Because you're going to meet a woman who went through a very similar experience, Jan Harrison. I've been talking to you about her for weeks. She and her husband, Frank, several years ago, lost their oldest son on the mission field in Kenya. 
And they had to decide as they were going through the process of burying James, whether they were going to bury his dream, his ministry, or whether they were going to look and see his life and his death as a legacy of ministry. As they wrestled for a year over what to do, they saw the heart of James and they said his death is not going to result in us shutting down. His death is going to result in ministry and hope for more people. So she's written a book called Life After the Storm, God Will Carry You Through. Our church has purchased 150 of these copies. We're giving a copy of this book to every family who comes next Sunday. And she's going to tell the story of what happens when on your worst day you stand up and look around and see who Jesus has brought you into contact with because everything has gone wrong. They ended up pouring into this ministry called with open eyes, a ministry that operates in Africa that we've been a part of. And since her son has died, do you know this ministry has mobilized 230 pastors that they call mobile messengers? I think we've got a picture of me with one in Kenya last November. And they've got these pastors who they have trained to minister to people and trained to teach the Bible. And they've bought them motorcycles so they can ride all over the countryside in these towns that don't have transportation so that they can go out and and give the gospel. Do you know that since her son has died, 166,212 people have given their life to Jesus in conversations. Go to the next picture, if you would, with missionaries and pastors who are going across the country, church church groups like us that just go and talk to random people and tell them about Jesus. 166,000 people have found Jesus because of the storm that they went through. 350 churches have been planted. Churches that we've been in. Here's a picture of one of the ones we go in. 350 churches have been planted because of the ministry of a storm and seeing through the hurt to those who are hurting and need ministry. You see, Frank and Jane could have said, we've lost our boy. We've lost our hope. We've lost our trust. We're out. But they opened their eye to the ministry and said, all right, God, we don't know why we're on this island. We don't know why our life has been shipwrecked. But we see where you've placed us. We see the opportunities you've given us. And we're in. Our ushers, when you leave, have these invite cards for you to invite someone who's hurting to church next Sunday. Because a lot of you know someone. You're waiting on a phone call from someone that if they ever work their way to your Rome, you're hoping they'll knock on your door. And you need to instead start down the road towards them and say, I know you're hurting. I've been watching your life. I know what's going on in your marriage. I know what's going on in your family. I know what's going on with your job. Make that uncomfortable call and say, I know you've been struggling through this unemployment. I want you to come hear a woman who found hope on her darkest day. Give them one of these invite cards. The ushers will give them to you as you leave in just a moment. But invite people, meet them on the road and invite them, be the minister. Because Jesus wants to be in the storm. Whether you see Jesus as the minister Whether you see Jesus as the rest, whether you see Jesus as the ministry, Jesus is in the storm. And let me tell you a story to illustrate that for some of us who are struggling to believe that. A few weeks ago, you may have heard the Royals made the playoffs. um, And I took Christian, my son, to the first playoff game of the ALDS against Houston. We got there really, really early. There was hardly anybody in the park. Um, And we were there and we went out. If you can see Kauffman Stadium in your head, we went out and we're literally standing, leaning against the left field foul pole, um, just kind of watching batting practice and watching the outfielders shag balls. And as we're standing there, um, one of Houston's batters shanks a ball and I see it kind of flying towards us. And I realize that's going to make, that's going to make the stands and there's no one over there. And I thought, here's a chance to grab a ball from BP 
in a playoff game. So I turn to go get it. I see this like little eight-year-old whose eyes kind of catch at the same time I do. He kind of tries to jet around me. So I gave him like one of the a hip check for getting how big I am. And he's like, ah, you know, he's like flies off. And I'm like, well, sorry, kid, but it's a playoff. Um, you know, so I start working my way over. And as the ball hits, it lands in an empty section of seats. And it kind of starts playing like the Plinko game, like ding, 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 you know, down the seats. So I'm like trying to do this geometric analysis. Okay, thinking, you know, this ball's traveling that fast, that hard. You know, where's it going to go? So I'm watching this thing kind of rattle around the seats and trying to figure out where is it going to come to rest as it bounces. And I see a section of seats. I think, hey, it's going to get there. I get to the corner. And like the only person in this section of seats is like this very pregnant woman eating this pretzel without the reality that she's even at a baseball game. Like this thing could have hit her in the head. She'd have had no conscience. She's just eating her pretzel, having a good time. And I realized that ball's going to come kind of down somewhere around her. So I'm watching this thing fly, and now people have gathered because people are trying to figure out how to get to the ball. And you can see it kind of bouncing over seats and going under seats. And I realize it's going to come out very, somewhere very close to this pregnant lady. And as I watch it start going under seats, I think it's going to, it literally is going to pass under her seat. And I look, and there's a guy standing in the row in front of her like, that, like he's waiting to deliver her baby. And I thought, ah, oh, he's going to get the ball. But it's going slow. So I thought... If I'm rude, I can get this. So I, so I kind of walked into her row. I saw it coming, so I'm like standing beside her. She's here, and I'm here watching it. And I thought, that ball's going to bounce right under her seat. So she's just sitting there eating her pretzel. Like, she doesn't even see me. And the ball hits and rolls under her seat. And I literally reach, like, right between her legs. Like, she's sitting there, and I reach, like, right between her legs, and I grab the ball, and she looks at me, and I'm like, it's a boy. You know, it was a, very, it was an awkward <laughs> conversation. Um, but, you know, like, I grabbed the ball, and she, she just kind of startled her. Um, and I was like, yeah. And, you know, people were high-fiving me, because if you haven't realized, most fans like think they're playing. So like if they get a ball, it's like a big deal. So I get a ball and like guys are high five me and I throw it to Christian. Um, I'm like, hang on to that, man, because who, who knows, you know, next time we'll be here in a situation like this. It's kind of a cool moment. Um, so I tell Christian, I, I wanted to send a picture to Danielle. So I threw the ball to Christian and I said, here, let's take a picture and send it to your mom. So I took this picture and sent it to Danielle. I was like, hey, we got a ball, having a great time, weather's great. Um, some guy behind me said, hey, you want me to get a picture of you guys together? And I was like, yeah. So g- gave him the phone and he took this picture of me. Um, and then we kind of went, went on to watch a game, no big deal, having a good time, go home, I'm telling Danielle the story, um, she's flipping through my phone, don't, don't show the last picture yet, and as I'm telling her the story, she's flipping through my phone, she says, who, um, who were you, who were you guys with? And I said, like, nobody, it was just, just us. It's like, no, when you, um, when you got the foul ball, who, who was with you when you got the foul ball? And I was like, nobody. She's like, no, 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 the guy you were, the, like, the guy you were talking to, who was right there with you. I said, Danielle, we weren't with anyone. And she throws me my phone and says, then who is this? Go to the next picture. And this is the picture on my phone. And I started laughing. I said, I have no clue. That dude literally photobombed me and my son at a playoff game. And Danielle's like, come on. You, like, you had to be with him. I said, I swear to God, I've never seen that guy. And she said, Christian, he's got his arm around you. And I was like, no, he doesn't. Like, he's touching you. I was like, no. So she, he didn't even talk to you. He didn't, it's like, no, this, I don't know who he is. I didn't even know how he got there. And she's like dying. She's like, wow, like this looks like your uncle, like hanging out with you guys. Like, I don't even know he's there. I didn't see him. I didn't feel him. Um, I didn't recognize he was there. And we were just laughing together. And for, I kept this picture on my phone. And this week I was clearing out pictures from my phone, getting ready to go to Israel. And I scrolled across this picture as I was in the midst of just kind of meditating on this message. And as I started laughing at that picture, it's like God spoke to my spirit. And say, Christian, this is the way it is spiritually. Literally, every snapshot of your life, Jesus is in. And you claim you didn't see him. You claim you didn't feel him. 
you swear that he wasn't there for you. But Christian, every snapshot of your life, on your best day, on your worst day, every picture of your life has Jesus in it. He is right beside you. He's got his arm around you. You may not recognize he's there. You might not admit he's there. You might swear to others that he wasn't there. But every snapshot of your life has Jesus standing right beside you with his arm around you. Sometimes he's the minister whispering in your ear, it's going to be okay. Sometimes he's the rest saying, let's just pull back and reset. Sometimes he's the ministry. But there's not a picture in your phone of life spiritually that he's not in. And when I saw that, I thought, God, forgive me for all the times. I've sworn you weren't there. I've questioned why you didn't show up. I've, I've not been aware of your presence because I just wasn't looking for it at the time. Help me, Jesus, realize you're in every snapshot of my life, especially in the storms. I don't know what storm you're going through. I could tell you the stories of what's going on in our church. It would blow your mind. The phone calls, text messages, conversations, emails, visits I've had to have with people in our church this week going through storms are unbelievable. Um, my son's first basketball coach, who's my age. His oldest son is my son's age. Um, three, for three years, I coached baseball. He was my assistant baseball coach. Our boys played together for two years. Christian played basketball. He was the basketball coach. I was his assistant basketball coach this week at basketball practice. He went to basketball practice, the coach's son and his team, 37 years old, had an aneurysm and died on the court in front of his entire team. Told Danielle, that could be me. There's no reason that's him instead of me. That could be me. That's just one. I could give you 20 things like that or like nearly like that that happened this week. I don't know what your storm is. All I can guarantee you from what I understand from Scripture is that Jesus is there. The snapshots of your life this weekend at funerals, in hospitals, trying to figure out how to pay your bills, in disagreements with your spouse, wondering about your kids spiritually, the alone moments, sitting in the car, wondering what's going to happen next. I don't know what your storms are. I just know in every snapshot of your life, Jesus is there. You might not feel him. You might not see him. You might not recognize him. But I promise you, he's there. He's there as the minister. He's there as the rest. Or he's there as the ministry. But he's there. And today I want you to see that. Would you pray with me?